something of Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to look at the first seven verses with you this morning. And over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to look at the, the remainder of the chapter. What it means to live with persevering faith. Okay? And uh, as Tim's already alluded to, our, our, our nation, our, the Europe, the world is in just a, such a place of change and unsettledness and uh, the tragedy that we've just seen in Nice this uh, week where once again some mad person motivated with hatred mows down, I don't know what the final figure is, 80, 100 people. It's just madness, absolute madness. And in the midst of this, God calls you and I as Christians to have persevering faith, to live with the eternal hope in our hearts that can only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when you look at the world, you want to just say, and I've been saying more, um, much recently, Jesus, it's time for you to come back. It's time for you to come back. Our world is in such a mess. We need you desperately. Yeah? And so I want to read for, with the first seven verses out of Hebrews chapter 11, which says this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Now by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered, offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For who, whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and must believe that He rewards those who seek Him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Wonderful, encouraging scripture, isn't it? And uh, it's, uh, uh, we're going to look at, look at the wonderful things that God wants to say out of this this morning to us. Um, let me start by saying that in the previous 10 chapters of, of uh, Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews letter says many, many wonderful things about the greatness of Jesus, about all that His work has done for us, all that His blood achieves for us. And he says all of those things to bring us to this point in chapter 11, to encourage us, in the light of all of that, to encourage us now to persevere in ongoing faith in our lives. That we can be bold, that we can be confident, that we can hold a hope deep within our hearts because God wants us to come to Him and He wants us to draw near to Him so that He can help us in our time of need. And that really is what um, the writer of the Hebrews is trying to get us to understand. He wants us to persevere in faith. He, want, he wants us to have courage. He wants us to lift up our eyes looking at all that Jesus has done for us, all that He has accomplished for us through His life and His death and His resurrection and for that to bring life to us and to bring courage to us so we can stand and persevere in the things that God has called us to do. All right? So remember, the reason that we can do that is simply because of all that Jesus has done for us. And if you want to just have a, a reference back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place 
by the blood of Jesus, by the new living way that He opened for us through the curtain, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Again, there's this encouragement to draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There's the encouragement, Hebrews 10. Let's draw near. God has done amazing things for us. Let's come with confidence into the Holy of Holies. And he also reminds us that we can live for reward. I'm, I, the, more, the longer I'm a, a Christian, uh, um, the more I'm surprised that Christians are not motivated to live by the sense of there's a reward for us, that God has an inheritance for us. Somehow we think it's, it's not righteous, it's not holy, to believe that God wants to reward those that seek Him. We think there's something funny in that. Well, I want to encourage you this morning, there's nothing funny in that. There's a reward for you here on earth, and there's a reward for you in heaven, and God wants you to enjoy something of that reward, that inheritance that He has for you. And it's a marvelous thing. We can have an inheritance in our marriages. We can have an inheritance in our workplace. We can have an inheritance that is from God in all these areas of our lives. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you've never thought about it, to think about how God wants to reward something of, of your life. And what does the Scripture say? As we draw near to Him and as we worship Him, He begins to reward us in different ways. And it's not always what we think. So I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about whole lot of other things that he wants to reward us. We have an inheritance here on earth that he wants us to walk in as Christians. There's also an encouragement never to give up in hard times in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, I'd just like to make reference to, uh, to, to that before I get to Hebrews chapter 11. It says this in verse 32, recall the former days after you were enlightened that you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those that treated you so. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. That's an amazing thing he's saying. He's saying these, these Christians were, were persecuted and, and their, their property was taken away from them, and yet they didn't throw away their confidence. We all need great endurance, don't we? We all need confidence, and all of us need to persevere. And I want to encourage you this morning, it finishes off the verse 34, it says, For we all have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you might receive what is promised. Can I encourage you this morning? This, don't throw away your confidence. We all have need of endurance in the midst of difficult things. This is the promise of God to us that there's an award and an inheritance for us if we, as we persevere. And I want to encourage you this morning, as we look now at Hebrews 11, this is what the writer begins to show us in detail. What does persevering faith actually look like? And he says, well, I can show you from the Old Testament, and he names 20 people in the Old Testament that have showed persevering faith in their lives. And he tries to encourage us out of that. And uh, he defines, first of all, the kind of faith that he's talking about. And he says this in verse 1, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You see, faith relates in essence to God and His character. Faith is believing God in such a way that we have this deep uh, assurance, this absolute unshakable assurance deep within us that what God says will happen. 
I try to put it like this in a simple way. You know in your knower. That's what I always say. There's something inside of you that is a knower. And when you have faith, you know in that deep place, there's this deep assurance that God is going to come through, that God is good, that He's trustworthy, that His word is true, and that He is kind to us and He wants to bless us in our lives. And you just know deep within you that it's going to happen. That's faith. Okay? And faith really is the opposite of sight. And our culture, our world says, seeing is believing. When you, I see it, I will believe it. This is the way that our world works. When you see uh, a business doing well, then you invest in the business so you can get a good return. The seeing is believing. That's the way that our whole culture works. But that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is exactly the opposite. Biblical faith says uh, that when you, when you uh, see something, you don't have to trust, uh, exercise any trust when someone tells you about it. You can see it for yourself. But faith really says you believe without seeing. You exercise trust in the person's word without seeing that thing yet in place. Faith is having that assurance. Um, it's also true that we have doubts along the way. I'm not saying we don't ever have doubts. But at the very heart of biblical faith is this absolute certainty that God is telling the truth. And what God speaks over your life is truth. Uh, Calvin, John Calvin, a famous reformer, he put it this way. He wrote a book called The Institutes where he put a whole lot of his thoughts down. And he, said, he defined it like this. He said, we shall now have a full definition of faith if we say that it's a firm and sure knowledge of divine favor towards us. He's saying exactly the same thing. Faith, biblical faith, is being sure of what God has said, that God is telling the truth, that God can be trusted. And now that's true as we read the Scripture, in terms of God's message towards us in terms of salvation. But it's also true as we walk by the Spirit, as you go about your daily life, in your workplace, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, there's this daily thing that we can enjoy, that God's word to us through the Holy Spirit can be trusted. That when you're hearing the voice of God in your life, you can trust the voice of God in your life. That He is trustworthy. What He's speaking to you is true. It's going to do you good. Are you with me? And so we see that in all of these um, characters in the Old Testament that are mentioned. All of them receive a conviction from God that God is speaking to them that God is leading them, and that conviction is enough for them to give their lives in certain actions based on what God has said, without seeing that thing yet. That's the incredible thing. So before they have any kind of proof that God is reliable, before they have any kind of proof that God is trustworthy, they are willing to act on what God has said, the conviction that they received from God, that He is true, and they act on that without seeing anything yet. And that is faith. That's faith, isn't it? And there's so many areas in our lives that you and I have to exercise a belief in what God has said without yet seeing that thing. That is biblical faith. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is encouraging us to persevere in. And all of, so, so much of our lives, we want to, uh, we, we, we say, okay, we'll, we'll continue to trust like that when we see it begin to happen. And God is saying, you trust me even when you don't see it happen. That's biblical faith. Not yet. You don't see it yet. But I want you to persevere in that thing. Do we have a loose connection here?
Okay, I'll try not to move. All right. So he defines what biblical faith is, all right? The second thing he says is that biblical faith brings God's approval. That's what he says in verse 2. For by it the people of old received their commendation. And when he's writing that, he's thinking of the people that he's about to mention. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the parents of Moses, Moses himself, the people of Israel, the whole nation, Joshua, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephna, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Those are the people that he mentions. So all of those people in their lives, they faced opposition from their peers, they faced disapproval from their communities, they had all kinds of opposition that they had overcome, some even faced death, and yet every one of them, without exception, receives the ultimate well done from God that he, they had done the thing that God had called them to do. I want to ask you this morning, as lovingly and kindly as I can, in terms of how you're living your life, are you living for that well done? Do you know the thing that God has called you to, that He's asking you to exercise faith in, that ultimately one day you will hear the voice of God say, well done, Joel. Well done, Colin. Well done, Dharma. You did the thing that I called you to do. That's what we're living for ultimately, isn't it? We're not looking for the combination of people. <laughs> we're looking for the combination of God. We're looking, we're, I, I'm living for the voice of God to say to me, well done, Ant. You did what I called you to do. Just as these Old Testament prophets did, uh, people did, they all lived for that combination. And they didn't, all of them didn't see the fullness of what God had promised them in this life. But they still lived with that persevering faith. Ultimately, though, they did receive the vindication of God, and also then later the community vindicated them. But at the time, they had to persevere. My encouragement to you this morning, the thing that God has called you to do, are you persevering to hear, well done? All right? So that's the first two things. He defines the kind of faith that he has in mind. Secondly, he says that this kind of faith brings the approval of God into your life. And thirdly, he shows how the, this kind of faith relates ultimately to creation. I find this very interesting. He says this in verse 3. By faith we understand the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It's very interesting to me. In the chapter as you read it, this phrase, by faith, it happens more than 20 times. You can read it. It just says, by faith, this happened. By faith, this happened. By faith, this happened. And mostly it refers to the things that these people did for God. All right? So by faith, Abel pioneered a new system of sacrifice. By faith, Enoch overcame death. Uh, God demonstrated through Enoch's life a power over death. By faith, Noah rescued an entire household from God's judgment. And it goes on like that. All these things were done by faith. But do you notice the first thing that the writer mentions is not what the people did by faith. He mentions faith in creation. That's what he says. By faith we understand that the universe was created. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's this. It's because that as we put our faith in creation, it shows in the very heart of what faith is. As we put our faith in creation. This is what I mean. No one witnessed creation. Humans were the last in the created order of things, if you read the story in Genesis. People weren't around to see all the things that God did before they were created. They didn't have a share in any of that. 
They were excluded from the privilege of seeing how God put the universe together before they came onto the scene. They were the last ones to arrive. And so the only way that we can really tell what happened in creation, and as you know, these days there are many, many theories about how the world was created, how the universe was created. The only way we can really be sure of those things is for God to tell us what He did. <laughs> That's as, simply, as simple as it is. We, we, we have to believe what God has said without seeing anything of how it happened, and then we come to believe those things are in fact, what God did. So we are simply believing what God has said. And that demonstrates what faith is. We simply believe what God has said. And faith, as we live our lives, is still exactly the same thing. Every situation we are facing in our lives, we have to believe that nothing except God's power can bring about what God has said about that situation. That is faith. It's exactly the same. And so whatever you are facing in your life this morning, at the end of the day, it comes down to this very simple thing. Do you believe what God has said about that situation and what He's going to do about that situation as He leads you by the power of His Spirit? So those are the three things that um, the writer of the Hebrews says about faith as an introduction. And he's trying to remind us that all of these people triumphed over what seemed to be defeat. And then he gets into the spe specific examples that we're going to look at now. Uh, just notice this before I do that. First, none of those 20 examples in those verses, none of them show us how those people came to faith. Do you notice that? It's not saying how they came to faith. They already were saved when they did all of these things. Was, uh, Abel was already saved when he offered up the sacrifice. Enoch already was saved. He was walking with God when he went to heaven without dying. Uh, these things simply focus on the works that these people did after they were saved. Yeah? Remember I said to you the last time I preached that I'm trusting that in this church we're going to have a growing testimony of good works that people have given themselves to as God has spoken and we have simply obeyed. That's persistent faith. That's I'm talking about exactly the same thing. And that's the point that the writer of Hebrews is trying to make to us over and over again. It's simply as we have faith, persevering faith, and we are patient that we begin to inherit the, the, the kingdom of God. By faith and patience, we inherit the king, kingdom of God. So my challenge to you this morning is the same challenge I speak into my own life. For the things that God has spoken over your life, do you have persevering faith and do you have great patience to see that thing happen? Because that's what we need. Both faith and patience. Yes? So many times we want it now. And when it doesn't happen now, we say, Oh God, you're not good. It's not happening now. No, God's saying, A little bit of patience, my son. A little bit of patience of my daughter. It's with faith and patience that we begin to inherit the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Okay? Secondly, do you notice that all of these people did something that was completely unique? Yeah? It wasn't done before, and it wasn't done after. What do I mean? Well, no one had to build an ark like Noah, except Noah. No one walked around the city blowing trumpets to destroy the walls of the city like Joshua, and no one did it again after Joshua. So what I'm trying to get you to see this morning is that in your life, your walk, your call, the thing that God has called you to do is absolutely unique to you. Just as my call and my life is absolutely unique 
to me. I must persist in faith in the thing that God has called me to do. You must persist in faith in the thing that God has called you to do. And they are not ever the same. And we cannot copy others and hope that that copying of others is going to release God's call for my, li for, for, for my life. Do you hear what I'm saying? Your call is your call. God has got a unique thing for you to do in, uh, in this world, for you to break open, for something of the kingdom of God to come through your life. It's unique for you, and it's unique for me. And as we, we journey together in, in the, this congregation, there's a unique thing upon this congregation that God has called this congregation to do that is different from the vineyard, that is different from home church, that is different from whatever other churches are in this community. God blesses everyone and uses everyone. But there's a unique call on this community of believers and we've got to find what it is and we've got to with faith and patience persevere to see that God has called to see that thing that God has called us to I hope that encourages you why because you don't have to copy anyone else that's the wonderful thing about God your call your life is unique and God wants you to enjoy that and prosper in that and see the fullness of that just as my call is unique we don't have to copy each other you're free to be yourself with the call that God has given you. Man, that's, I, I think that's good news. Yeah. So your call is personal. So my, my point to you is simply this. What is God calling you to in your life? <laughs> what is that thing He's given you? What is in your hand? It's a unique thing for you. Do you know what it is? And if you don't know what it is, I want to encourage you. Learn from the, the, this chapter. All these things are so different. It could be many things, but God has put something in your hand to do for his kingdom. What is it? Yeah? First um, example, I'm just going to do three. And then I, I am going to just do at the end uh, a little financial uh, quarterly feedback, which um, the trustees have asked me to do. And I'm going to do that as we finish this morning. All right? So the first thing, Ab Abel founded the sacrificial system. Verse four By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And through that, he was commended as righteous. Uh, I think as we unpack each of these little stories, you can see there are many things that the, the writer of the Hebrews wants us to understand about faith that are locked up in these little cameo stories. And the first is this. Abel seems to have got the idea that being made righteous by a blood sacrifice, he seems to have got that idea from God. Have you ever thought, why was Abel's sacrifice pleasing to God and Cain's wasn't? Well, I think it's got something to do with this, although it is a little bit mysterious. He seems to have known intuitively that to be made righteous by God required a sacrifice, and he seems to have learned that from God. Why do I say that? Well, I, I, um, I'd never seen this before, but I was doing some reading this week. Do you know that God was the first one to sacrifice an animal? I didn't know that either. Genesis 3 21. When Adam and Eve were naked and they needed to be clothed, God sacrificed an animal and put the skins upon Adam and Eve. That's what it says in verse uh, 21 of Genesis chapter 3. And the Lord made God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So remember, faith is based on something of what God has said and something of what we know is God's will. So, so Abel seems to know intuitively that to please God, there's something of a sacrifice that needs to be involved, and so he, he makes an animal sacrifice which pleases God. Cain, on the other hand, seems to have made his offering based on his own idea of how hard he was working. 
Why do I say that? Well, he was a farmer. Genesis 3.19 says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So Abel, uh, Cain seems to think, well, I'm a farmer, I need to work hard, the sweat of my brow, that's going to please God. Do you notice how both of these things, in a way, point us to how we are saved? It's not through the sweat of your brow that you are saved. It's not through the good works that, of your life that you are saved. It's not through working hard that you are saved. You are saved through the sacrifice of someone else. Points us to the Lamb. Points us forward to Jesus. Just as Abel offered the sacrifice that pleased God, in the same way, God gave His Son as the perfect sacrifice. By that you are saved. Not by the sweat of your brow, not by your hard work, not by trying really hard. No, you're saved by believing in the sacrifice of Jesus. Second, we see that this achieved something. Abel achieved something for God. It says uh, later, we know that this system of sacrifice was adapted by Moses. But it says uh, that Abel, through what he did, his, although he's dead, his life still speaks to us. So he achieved something for God through doing this. And he heard the well done. He received what God had for him because he was obedient to what God had called him to do. Yeah? So this is a little cameo for us. The second little cameo, Enoch. Uh, I've always found this story of Enoch absolutely amazing because basically what it says is that Enoch walked with God and his life so pleased God that he never died. He was just taken up to heaven. That's a good way to go, isn't it? Don't die. Just your life so pleases God. Taken up to heaven to be with him. And um, we see that uh, in Genesis 5.23, uh, sorry, sorry, Genesis 5.24, it says that Enoch had been walking with God and God had promised him they wouldn't die. And so as he persisted in this faith that pleased God, it turned out exactly as the promise of God had said, and he was taken up to heaven, and he achieved something for God's kingdom, as that was demonstrated. And it's interesting now, as uh, these two examples of Enoch and Abel have been given to us, just to make sure that we're getting the point, the writer to the Hebrews adds a little comment in the next verse. He says this, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Without, uh, without exercising this in your life, doesn't mean you're not saved, but if you want to please God, you need to exercise faith. And the, the writer to the Hebrews says, without this kind of persistent faith, it's impossible to please God, for those that would draw near to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And so I want to point it out to you again. Remember here he's talking about ongoing, persevering faith. We please God by demonstrating ongoing, persevering faith that doesn't look at the condition of the world, that doesn't look and allow that to demotivate us and discourage us. We look at the world through the, through the eyes of God, through His Word, through what Jesus has done, and we persevere with that kind of faith. That's what pleases God. And what he does say, and I just want to mention this for a moment, that's so helpful for us to understand when we are facing difficulty, when we are facing challenging situations in our lives from day to day, when we see tragedy in the world, like we've seen again this last week, Nice and Turkey. How do we have persevering faith when we are faced with those kind of difficult situations? Well, I want to give you two little things that I think we can learn from Hebrews. First, we must believe that God is there. That God is there. 
I want to say this uh, as a pastor. I've been leading in churches now for over 25 years. When people go through difficult things in their lives, when they're trusting for breakthrough, when someone is trusting to fall pregnant and they don't fall pregnant, this is what I've seen too many times. When people face difficult situations, their reaction initially is this, God, you have left me. You are not here. Why am I going through this? Why have you left me, God? I don't see your hand in my life. You have left me. I want to encourage you, that is not biblical faith. Faith is saying, God, I believe that you are here with me right now in the midst of this really tough thing that I'm facing. I still believe, I choose to believe in my Noah that you are still with me, that you are here in the midst of my pain, in the midst of this difficulty. You are here fully loving me, fully encouraging me, willing me on to the destiny that you have for my life. That is faith. When we do not yet see it, we are believing it with all of our hearts. That's faith. So I want to encourage you, don't give in to the temptation when you're going through a difficult thing. Don't let the first thing out of your mouth be, God, you have left me. Let the first thing be out of your mouth be, God, you are with me. I want to thank you that right now, in the midst of this terrible thing, you are with me. That's biblical faith. Secondly, He, com he commands us to live for reward. Do you notice that? We must, we must draw near and we must believe that there's a reward for us for persevering. I want to let that encourage you to let that motivate you. There is a reward coming for you in your life. God wants to bless you. There, and I'm not a prosperity preacher. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about God's blessing. I'm talking about God's peace. I'm, I'm talking about the shalom of God that envelops everything of our lives, a contentment, a, a gratitude, a, a fullness of life. God has that for you. He wants to bless you with that. Will you believe that as you persevere? And then the, lastly he says, so that's his little addendum, his little addition. Without faith, without demonstrating faith like Abel and like, like Enoch, without that kind of faith it's impossible to please God. And then he goes on in verse 7, he says, another example, Noah. By faith Noah, being warned by, God's, uh, by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear he constructed an ark for the saving of his family. And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Again, there's a, key, a couple of keys for us in this little story that demonstrate what persistent faith is. What did Noah do? Noah did what, what was based on something that God had said to him, and that resulted in the practical action that he took. So he heard God, and simply what God said to him, he heard, and he acted on what God had said to him, and it was in the face of people in the community saying, you are mad, what are you doing, you're an idiot. How many times isn't it like that as a Christian? <laughs> you hear God say something to you, you act on that, you believe, and everyone else around you, your friends, your family, the community says, what a wally, what an absolute idiot. Look at this man, living like this. Why do we live like that? Because God has told us, because we are people of faith. We live by what we have not yet seen, but what God has spoken. And that's the encouragement to us. I find it very interesting. Secondly, do you notice it says that his faith highlighted, uh, sorry, his actions highlighted his faith, and at the same time, his actions highlighted the unbelief of those around him. 
Do you notice that? His faith so stood out that people, it says he became the condemnation. What does it mean by that? Well, it simply means that he so demonstrated his trust in God through how he lived that it became obvious to everyone around over a period of time that he was marching to a different drumbeat. And that was the thing that showed the distinction between him and all those people around him. He believed God. I want to ask you, do our lives demonstrate something of that? That people can see that we are marching to a different drumbeat. We are listening to the voice of God. We are living for His kingdom, not for the way that everyone else lives. And lastly, we see, it says, those that are justified by this kind of faith become heirs to the rewards of God. And uh, I love Romans 4.13, which says it's the same thing. It says, the promise of Abraham was that he and his offspring would inherit the world. And it didn't come through anything that they did, but it came through, uh, it didn't come through the law either, but it came through those that live with the righteousness of faith. That's how we live. It's, re- it's true that Noah found grace for his life. He found that a unique gift for his life and nothing else but grace made him righteous before God. And then he persisted in the voice of God and obeyed the voice of God. He didn't draw back. He wasn't discouraged, even though there was opposition, and he achieved something for God, and he was motivated by that thing that God had promised would be his inheritance. And so I conclude by saying this. It's wonderful that we are saved. It's wonderful that we know Jesus, but our salvation opens the way for us to enjoy the inheritance that God has for us. So my challenge to you, my encouragement to you, what's the unique call? that God has for you. Let me remind you again, you can't, you can't enjoy the call of God on your life by copying anyone else's call. There's a unique inheritance that God has for you. He wants you to find it. He wants you to enjoy it. And when you find it, when you start enjoying it, it will fit your hand like a glove. It will not be uncomfortable. You will revel in it. It will enlarge you. It will bless your family. It will bless many others. It will bless the church community. Do you know what God is calling you to do? If you don't know what God is calling you to do, can I ask you to ask Him to show you what He's calling you to do, that you can give yourself to that unique call that He has for you, that you can be a blessing to this community, to your family, to those that are around you, and enjoy the inheritance that God has for you here on earth. It's a glorious inheritance. It's a wonderful thing. Will you give yourself to finding out what that is? Just as the the heroes of faith in the Old Testament did, so you and I are called to persevere in the one thing that God has called us to do with our lives. And it's different for me, and it's different for you. But together, we inherit the kingdom as we give ourselves to those things. Amen? I'm going to pray for you. Is that okay? And then I'm just going to... Father, I want to thank you for this wonderful church. Thank you for this amazing community of believers. Thank you for the unique call that you have for, all, for each of us. And my prayer, Lord, is that as we go on holiday, uh, that you would refresh us in that call, that you'd speak to us of what that call is. Uh, I pray that every single person in this community would know what the call of God is upon their lives. Thank you, Lord, that it's unique for each of us. Thank you, Lord, that it's a, a thing that uh, you've given individuals. And I want to thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that it's, there's a great inheritance for us in our own lives and an inheritance for this church. And Lord, we we long to live in the fullness of what that means. And so I ask you, Lord, that you'd speak, that you'd encourage, and even this morning,
that they, people would leave uh, with a little bit more understanding of what you've called them to do, and they would give themselves to finding that with all of their hearts. I pray that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.